What a wonderful testimony of the Lord's grace. I love the Christmas season and the traditions, even the giving of gifts. I, I know that there are some who don't, but I, I enjoy that part of it as well. In fact, recently I went to Google and Googled in gifts for Dad just to see if they had any ideas there that I might be able to pass on to my family. And uh, one of the gifts that I saw, the first one, is a 25-gallon aquarium coffee table for $599.95. Now, I, I know that Mickey Avenger has one, but it's stocked with bass and catfish. I don't think you can do that with a 25-gallon aquarium. So I don't want that. I, I also went on down, and, and here's another suggestion that they had. Beef Jerky of the Month Club for $69.99. I guess it's the gift that keeps on giving that you run every month out to your mailbox waiting on your beef jerky. I can get that at the grocery store. I don't have to have that. And then I, it got worse. I went down to another suggestion and it said Pill Organizer, $12.85. I don't want any of these things. Linda, Stephanie, I don't want any of these things. So after the, you know, after I found the Snuggie on there, I shut it down. I thought, you know, there's nothing on there that I want. But, but I enjoy the traditions of Christmas. I enjoy the gifts. And, and my favorite Christmas memories, honestly, are those, those times when we used to get together at my grandparents' house. Now, they've all gone to be with the Lord by now. But we used to get there, and the cousins and so forth, and it was a wonderful time. That, that is uh, my favorite Christmas memory. There's a pageant. I love the Christmas pageant, Steve. You all work so hard and do such a wonderful job, and I'm, and I'm grateful for all that you do. And uh, that, that sort of starts my Christmas every year, the Christmas pageant. And then, of course, there's the decorations, the Christmas decorations. You know, we, we get a dead tree and some dead branches and put them in our house for decorations. And then we sit around a sock and eat candy out of it. I mean, those things are pretty neat. So I, I like that. But what I want to do today is to focus on the Christ of Christmas. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. And we continue our series in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 61, verse number 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. There are more than 360 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the coming of the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies, and a hundred and nine of them only Jesus could have fulfilled. For instance, Isaiah had prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was born that the Messiah, when he came, would be born of a virgin. 
And so Isaiah wrote in chapter 7, verse 14, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophecy. Now, when the angel came to Mary and said to her, Mary, you are going to have a child, she protested. Why did she protest? Because the Bible says in Luke 1.34, And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? But you see, that's exactly what Isaiah had prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born. And so when the angel said to Mary, You're going to have a child, she said, How can that be? Because I am a virgin. That was a prophecy. And then Micah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was born that he would be born in Bethlehem. The Scripture says in Micah 5.2, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler of Israel. His goings forth are from long ago. From the days of eternity. So there are over 360 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the coming of the Messiah. They were fulfilled in Jesus. Now Isaiah gave him four two-word titles in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. First of all, Wonderful Counselor. Now, wonderful is not an adjective describing counselor. They both are nouns. So what do they mean? Well, one commentator said that wonderful means miraculously accomplishing things that only God can accomplish. So when the Messiah comes then, He is going to do things that only God can do. And then counselor. The commentator said ruling with the kind of all-knowing wisdom that only God can can have. Now then you recall that He says that the government will rest on His shoulder... So what Isaiah is saying with this title is that he is capable of ruling, that he is all-knowing, that he is wonderful counselor, that he does miraculous things that only God can do, and he knows things that only God knows. He is wonderful counselor. And then he says, mighty God. So mighty God refers to the fact that he is all-powerful. When the Messiah was born, he was born as a baby. He was helpless. He was dependent. He was reliant upon his parents to meet the needs that he has, a helpless babe. And yet it says here that he is the mighty God. Because, you see, he was born as God incarnate. He was mighty God. Now then think of this baby. The Bible says that he grew in, in wisdom and favor and stature, all of those things, and he was able to cause the lame to walk. He was able to give sight to the blind. He was able to raise the dead. He is able to meet our needs. Why? Because he is mighty God. Ladies and gentlemen, the Christ, the Messiah, is the mighty God. 
And then he says, eternal father. Now, that's a curious title. A son will be given, a child will be born. Then he is referred to as eternal father. How's that? What's that about? He is a child. He is a son. He is the eternal father. What is that? Well, it speaks of his dual nature. That, that he is fully God. He is fully man. And it also deals with the mystery of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one in three and three in one. So when the Bible says that He is the eternal Father, it is speaking of the fact of the Trinity. And then it says, Prince of Peace. Now, in our English language, that's three words, Prince of Peace. However, in Hebrew, it is two words, Prince Peace. So He is the God of Peace. The Bible says in Philippians 4, 9, and the God of peace shall be with you. Do you understand God in those terms? That He is the God of peace? And the Bible says through Him that He gives to us His peace. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there are prophecies then concerning His birth. The Messiah, we celebrate His birth at this time of year. 360 prophecies declaring that a Messiah was going to come, written hundreds of years before he was born, and Jesus fulfilled them. Well, why did he come? What is his ministry? What was his purpose? What was his reason for coming? Well, first of all, he gave us hope. His coming gives hope to mankind. First, hope of freedom. Verse number one, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. So he came to give us hope, hope of freedom. The Bible says in John 8, 36, if therefore you shall, therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Folks, do you want to be free from the bondage of sin? That comes from Jesus. The only way that we are made free from the bondage of sin is through Jesus Christ. He came to give us freedom. Matthew Henry said, if God makes former deliverances his patterns in working for us, we ought to make them our encouragements to hope in him. Why did he come? To give you hope. Hope of freedom. Friend, listen to me. If you are held in bondage by sin today, Jesus Christ came to break the bondage. Whatever sin that holds you, whatever bond that keeps you, Jesus Christ came to break the bonds that hold us so that we can have freedom. And He wants to set you free. He came to give us hope, hope of freedom and hope of favor. In verse number 2, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That favor includes God's glorious light. In other words, He brings light to a dark world. When He came, He came to bring light to a dark world. Matthew Henry wrote, which shall so qualify and by degree dispel the dimness. And He came to give you the favor of universal joy. Matthew Henry wrote, the gospel when it comes in its light and power brings joy along with it. So why did he come? What is his ministry? What is his purpose? Why was the Christ born? We celebrate this every year. Why did he come? To give you hope. Hope of freedom, that he breaks the chains of sin that hold us to give us favor. 
universal joy, His glorious light, and then healing in verse number 1 again. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. The Bible says that He came to, to, to bind up the brokenhearted. Stephen Dow said that is a term referring to those who have been broken or oppressed or humble. Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. One commentator wrote, those whose hearts are broken for sin. Listen to this. Those whose hearts are broken for sin, who are truly humbled under the sense of guilt and dread of wrath, are furnished in the gospel of Christ with that which will make them easy and silence their fears. In other words, it is speaking of those who are broken over their sin. I don't see much of that today, do you? We become comfortable with our sin, and there's not much brokenness over sin. I was reading in my devotions yesterday, thinking about this passage of Scripture, and I, I came again to the story of the, of the woman who was a prostitute. Her life had been changed by Jesus. And the Bible says that she came to the house of Simon where he was, and standing behind him, There she was, standing behind him. And the Scripture says that as she stood behind him, that that she wet his feet with her tears. And she poured out her perfume on him. That, folks, that is brokenness. That is the brokenness of sin. Today we, we strut down the aisles and, you know, we have the attitude today that we're doing God a favor if we commit our lives to him. You know, if I do something for God, God ought to be, God ought to be happy that I would do something for him. That's not what I find in Scripture. The Bible says that He came to bind up the brokenhearted, those whose hearts have been broken because of sin. Do you ever have those times in your life when you understand your sin? Does God understand your sin and your heart is broken as a result of it? See, He came to bind up the brokenhearted and to to heal those who mourn. In verse number 3, He says to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. He came to heal those who mourn. Hannah mourned because she didn't have a child, and the Lord heard her prayer, ministered to her. The Bible says that that, uh, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem, that Jeremiah wept over the state of Israel. Do you ever weep over the sin of man, the state of our world? He came to give hope, He came to give healing, and He came to give holiness. In verse number 3b, He says, So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. You see, folks, God is righteous. Isaiah said He is holy, holy, holy. And the Bible says that because He is righteous, that we also are to be righteous. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.16, Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So what is the ministry of Jesus? What, what was the reason for His coming? Why did God send His only Son? To give you hope, to give you healing, and to give you holiness. Then there's the joy of Jesus in verse number 7. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land, everlasting joy. 
will be theirs. The coming of the Messiah, the celebration of Christmas, the coming of Jesus ought to bring joy to us. There was a child who wrote a letter to Santa. It says, Dear Santa, there are three little boys at our house. There's Jeffrey. He is two. There's David. He is four. And there is Norman. He is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. Sincerely, Norman. Knowing the Christ of Christmas should make us want to be good all of the time, and I would imagine that you do want to be. I'm not saying that you are. I, I know I want to be. That's my desire. We want to be good, and the Christmas story is a story of, of His joy. Now, we see the method of this in the announcement of His birth. The Bible says that He came at night. The announcement was made to the shepherds at night which represents the darkness of life without Christ. Now, understand that. When the announcement was made to the shepherds, it was at night. Why? Because that represents or that symbolizes the darkness of life without Christ. The Scripture says in Luke one seventy nine to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. So the long night of darkness ended when Jesus was born. Do you understand that? The long night of darkness. Man was in darkness before Christ came. And, and then when He came, the light appeared, which is what Isaiah had prophesied. Isaiah said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And that prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus was born. So the announcement was made at night because that represents man's dark condition apart from, from God. And then the Bible says that when He came, the light shined. It did for the shepherds. Luke wrote, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So, here are the shepherds, and Jesus is born, and the Bible says that the light of God penetrated their world. And He also shines on us His light. So John wrote in chapter 1, verse 9, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. So when I go back to read the story of the birth of Jesus, I see the announcement was made at night because that represents man's condition before Christ came. He was in darkness. And then the light came. And uh, then there was a certain amount of fear that came because they didn't completely underst understand what all that means, that the Messiah has come, that God incarnate is here. What does that mean? And because we don't completely understand it, then there is a fear that goes with that. It did with the shepherds, the Bible says, and they were terribly frightened. To be candid with you, you know the story of Christmas. You've probably heard it all your life, that Jesus, the, the Messiah, was born, that He is the fulfillment of prophecy, all those things. You've heard all of your life. But the truth is, for some of you, you are fearful of committing your life to Him because you don't know what that's going to mean. And it's easier for you to be religious, it's easier for you to belong to the Baptist church than it is to belong to Jesus. It's easier to be baptized than it is to, work, to walk in righteousness. See? 
And because we don't fully understand what it means, we're a little fearful of giving our hearts to Christ, of committing our lives to Him. At our convention recently, Dr. Rebecca Naylor was there. She grew up in this church and, as you know, served as a missionary um, in India for most of her life. And I was talking with her because she is no longer doing that. And, and as we talked about it and how she was doing and what she was doing now and all that, she said, I have not been in the operating room since January, and I don't miss it. I know the Lord has a new mission for me. Now, I, isn't that wonderful? I mean, here she has given so many years of her life as a doctor in India, serving the Lord, many people coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior because of her ministry. And she said, I'm not doing that anymore, but I am excited because God has something new for me to do. Oh, friend, I pray that that is your testimony. That you don't see all of your life in the rearview mirror. That you're not just looking back to the way it used to be, but you're looking forward to what God has for you now. That He has something for you now. So when I look at this, sometimes I, I, I know that we are a little fearful of committing our life to Christ, but we don't because we don't know what it means. Let me tell you something. It means something better. God still has something for you. And then there's the message that was brought, the message of His birth. It's good news in verse number 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. And you know that the word gospel means good news. That's what it means, good news. Now, it's good news because of the bad news. The bad news is that without Christ we are in our sin. The bad news is, is that without Christ we are unforgiven. The bad news is, is that without Christ we die and go to hell. That's the bad news. That's the reason it's good news. Because Jesus Christ took our sins upon Himself, paid for them on the cross, that He can give to us the gift of eternal life, and that one day we will go to heaven. So it's a message of good news. It's a message of great joy. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. The word great is mega. We have been given great news. You know what? I'm around a lot of Christians, and I don't see the joy of Jesus in oh, many of them. I mean, I really don't. I'm around a lot of Christians, and I think, man, I don't know what they got, but I don't want that. That's one of those Christmas gifts that I don't want to get. Did you know that God is joyful? Did you know that? God is joyful? I said, well, how do you know? Because the Bible says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is in your midst a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with great joy. He will be quiet in His love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Did you know God does that? That He shouts for joy over you? God is joyful. And, and the shepherds, when they received the good news, they were joyful. Well, folks, you and I ought to be joyful. If we know Jesus, we ought to be joyful. And yet, I know that there are some who have lost their joy. In fact, Paul was writing to the Galatians and asked them about it. He said, where then is that sense of blessing you had? In other words, where's your joy? 
What happened? To you? Well, you, you, I don't know if you know the story about the Galatians or not, but they were, you know, they were saved with the grace of God and so forth, and then they got back into the legalism of the law and all of that, and so they lost their joy as a result of it. And so Paul wrote to them, and he says, where's that great joy you used to have? What happened to it? I know a lot of Christians who don't have that joy. There were some years ago, some of, some of you will remember when Russell Marx had a, had a program on television. Well, there was a pastor on there one time. And the pastor said to him, Mr. Marks, I want to thank you for bringing so much joy into the world. And if you remember that Groucho Marks, he leaned over and said, I want to thank you for taking so much out. But there are a lot of Christians who take a lot of joy out. They don't, I mean, they, they don't have the joy that they ought to. Billy Sunday said, the trouble with many men is that they have just enough religion to make them miserable. If there is not joy in religion, you've got a leak in your religion. If you come to know Jesus, my friend, the one of Scripture, then there will be joy in your heart because it is good news that He has brought. So, the story of Christmas then is the story of the cradle, that a Savior was born in a cradle in Bethlehem. It's a story of a cradle. It is a story of a cross. He died on the cross, taking our sins upon Himself. And it's a story of a crown. He wore a crown of thorns, that you might have a crown of righteousness. And as Paul said before he went to be with the Lord, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day. But not to me only. To all those love is appearing. Jesus Christ wore a crown of thorns that you might be clothed in a crown of righteousness. Do you know him? Do you know the Jesus of Scripture, the one who came? Do you know him? I pray that you might come to know Jesus. Our Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who came to give his life, that we might have life and have it abundantly. Lord, today I especially pray for those who have never come to know Jesus, that they might. Lord, help them to commit their lives to the Lord who loves them. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing as they sing. Let me encourage you to commit your life to Christ if you never have. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand together and sing. You come. I'll greet you as you do.